welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here with you once again on the Yacht Sports Podcast Network. And for the second week in a row, we have two shows. We have our Friday show, our second ever Friday show, I think. I don't know. We probably have had shows on Friday before. Everything is jumbled in my brain a little bit, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> obviously, um, yesterday's episode with Mr. Grimm was uh, outstanding, um, very insightful. Um, I have been uh, you know, editing that one together, and and we'll go back and listen to the inter listening to the interview. Um, it really strikes you the relationship that he has with Baby Grimm, um, as well as you know his his in ring prowess. It's it's all so so good. Um, and today's subject, today's guest, um, in in a different way, does not disappoint. Um, if you've been paying attention to independent pro wrestling, LGBTQ-centric pro wrestling, as well as you know some of the the larger companies out there like the NWA, you definitely know the name Poyo Demar, um, the manager of champions. Poyo Demar. Actually, I should clarify myself there. Um, and, you know, we've had Poyo on the show before, but today is a little bit different because we're talking uh, to the man behind Poyo Demar, the man who brings that character to life, who also, uh, in fact, works as a wrestling journalist for uh, Wrestling Inc., <laughs> as well as being published in the Pro Wrestling Illustrated, Paul Pratt. The, the man who encompasses the essence of Poyo Del Mar um, all over the wrestling world is here to talk to me about his experiences in wrestling media, his journey in, in this um, wild world of entertainment. And I'll be right up front. I've, you know, I've gotten to know Poyo a little bit um, over the past year, and uh, it's been a delight. And he has accomplished so much <laughs> in his time that I don't think a lot of people know about. And we get into that a lot in the interview, but it's so much that, you know, we're going to have to have him back at some point. There's more to talk about, but we got a good a good chunk of stuff to cover here regarding his journey. And I'm very excited to share it with all of you um, because it really speaks to the tenacity that you have to have. You know, not just in pro wrestling, but just to make your dreams come true and make your dreams come alive and, and fulfill them. So, awesome conversation there. Before we get to the interview, uh, I just want to give a quick shout out to a local indie here in Portland, uh, the local indie right now, DOA uh, Pro Wrestling. They are having their first uh, event since their anniversary show, their return show last year, coming up this weekend. I am super excited to be attending live um, and staying safe while doing so. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. You got some outstanding LGBTQ talent on that card in you know Abigail Warren and Jaden and, and uh, Dave Turner from the Bash Bros, like... There's a whole lot of awesome names there. I'm excited for that show. Keep an eye out for it on IWTV somewhere down the line. Um, 
and go check out the anniversary show as well. That was a really, really fun show too. Um, a lot of good stuff there, but I'll be there. If you see me, I guess you can say hi, but, uh, I don't know. That's, that's up to you. <laughs> I'm just going to be enjoying myself, honestly. Um, that being said though, um, let's kick it over to my chat with Paul Pratt, AKA the manager of champions, Poyo Delmar. What's up, guys, gals, and non-binary pals? Welcome back to LGBT in the Ring. And as we continue along with our theme month, Cherno January here, I am very happy to welcome uh, someone who has become a friend, uh, I would say, over the last year or so for me. Someone who is well-known to a lot of wrestling audiences as the Glamazon Poyo Del Mar, whether it be LA Fights, GCW, East Bay Pro Wrestling, Hood Slam, Agua, so many different companies. NWA, cannot forget NWA appearing alongside Jamie Senegal at NWA Empower. Um, but as well as all of the stuff that, that he does in the ring, he's also a accomplished journalist when it comes to covering pro wrestling, whether it be writing for the Huffington Post in the past, WrestleZone, currently with Wrestling Inc., uh, hosting the Wrestling Daily podcast every Thursday alongside Nick Houseman. Um, as well, we can't forget, published in the Pro Wrestling Illustrated in last year, Please welcome to the show, Paul Pratt, a.k.a. Paul Del Mar. How you doing, Paul? I am very well. How are you, Brian? I am doing good. You have such a long list of accomplishments and, and projects going on. I can't even get through all of them in the intro. because like, You're also doing, like, not only are you doing the podcast on Thursdays with Wrestling, you also have the podcast with, uh, with uh, Elijah Burt, the Pope, that you do as well. I'm actually going to be recording that today. You know, after we <laughs> after we talk later this evening, I'll be recording that, and I'm going right from this to do wrestling inks. But you know, so, I, but I don't know when you'll be listening to this, listeners. But obviously, we're recording on a Thursday. So yes, yes, it seems like Thursdays are the busy day for, for you. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we were able to carve out some time to, to chat about about you on this show today because you know you've been on the show in the past. You talked about the big day brunch talking about um, the, the QWI 200 most recently, but we've never got to really talk about you and your accomplishments and your story, um, not just in pro wrestling, but just in entertainment and drag is so interesting and unique when talking about the pro wrestling world and the figures within it, because, you know, I think obviously a lot of people have come to recognize you and know you over the last year, you know, dating back to whenever you were at the Big Gay Brunch in Tampa. I think it was when you came on a lot of people's radar, but you've been in this world for a long time. Um, and before that, even longer in the drag world now. Like if I'm not mistaken, you started doing drag in 2006, correct? That is correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and so it's just been, it's, going back and like reading some of your writing about your whole journey um, and seeing where you have come now over the course of the last year, it just, it feels like, I don't want to say a renaissance because you've been doing this work like all throughout that time, but you're finally, it seems like it's all paying off now in terms of like the recognition that you gave. You will perhaps recall on my Twitter uh, a few weeks ago, I sent out a pretty simple thought that has occurred to me over and over. And that is that you can work literally decades to be seen as an overnight sensation. Hmm. And that's really how I feel right now, because 
the reality of most listeners to this podcast or most people in the pro wrestling space is that I did come onto their radar in April of 2021 as the host of Effie's Big Gay Brunch. And I will tell you that experience changed my life. You know, it, it absolutely changed my life because I went from doing periodic pro wrestling things to pro wrestling every weekend, flying all over the country to do it, making a plethora of dreams come true in the last nine months alone. But if you were to trace my actual history, even before drag, I had worked with a, a small regional promotion in Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, really? A, I didn't know that. It's a very little known fact. And it's one that we I try to sweep under the rug, except for the fact that I trot it out every now and then just to kind of give an example of how long I've been interested in this world and how long I've dabbled in it. Because I started out in that company in year a very long time ago, you know, like a long time ago. Yeah. And I was a manager, I think for like two shows. That was my dream even then was to be a pro wrestling manager, but they strapped me with a gimmick that was so bad. And a couple of wrestlers that sort of were going nowhere in that company and it was doomed from the start. So I put that aside after one particularly awkward experience and and went back to, you know, I was in college at the time and, and I just focused on my studies and then circled back a couple of years later as I want to do, because like dreams don't die, they just hibernate for a bit. So I circled back and I ended up doing play-by-play commentary and color commentary on their weekly public access radio or a television show at the time. And I did that for about a year and a half. And then I ended up moving to San Francisco and, and things, you know, once again, got put on the shelf as other dreams took their place. But now it, I, I'm, this is a very long answer, but you kind of like touched on a topic that's multi, multi-layered, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so what I tell people is my perspective is that um, if you keep your dreams alive long enough, the world sometimes will catch up to be able to appreciate all of who you are and how those dreams have come to actualize. So for me, I, there was a love for wrestling and then the drag thing happened and then the love of wrestling and drag combined to make this moment for me that happened. And now here we are nine months later after that. It's interesting to hear like, like to put it, to hear you put it that way, really like to see like that the road isn't necessarily, you have to come up and meet where the road is in a way, you know, because like it speaks to, I mean, let's, let's be real. It speaks to the historic nature of, you know, queer identities in the pro wrestling landscape. Um, <laughs> yes. For, yes. Um, and, you know, I think that, that that really has become a factor in a lot of people's stories, especially now that, you know, we've seen the boom that we have over the past like three to four years. Um, and, I don't know. That's really interesting to me that to hear that you had that experience um, back then, and that you know it didn't hit you in the same way, or or and or it didn't like lead to the the same thing now on like a quicker pace, I guess. But like I said, it speaks to the how pro wrestling has kind of evolved over time, and that was another interesting aspect of like learning about your story and how you came to pro wrestling because it feels like that was another instance of where like something wasn't quite to where the road started yet 
but it was definitely something that that um, you were jumping into. Like, because I read the, a, a piece that you wrote for Huffington Post a while back, talking about how you know whenever you got into pro wrestling, the the person, the first person you saw was Austin Idol. Yes, and that is, I, first off, like that's a good entry point, <laughs> I'd say. Um, for, for, a, for a lot of ways, whether it be the era or, or the person involved, you know, very, very talented. But what was more curious to me was like how you ended up coming to wrestling um, and and the relationship that kind of came with it as juxtaposed against like this idea of, of masculinity that, that we've had culturally for such a long time. So tell me a little bit more about, about how that kind of came to be and how you ended up getting into wrestling. Absolutely. You know, for those who have not had that opportunity, I think the article you're referencing is loosely titled something like how I battled my internalized homophobia to live my pro wrestling dreams. And, you know, it starts off telling the, the actual story. I was eight years old. My family, I, I, God love them because they were always wonderful to me. I think that when I look back at the troubled relationship I had with my dad, there's a lot of facets to that. And I think one of them was simply that he was ill-equipped in all honesty to deal with a young, somewhat effeminate, obviously unusual, very different little boy. You know, he did not have that life experience and he did not know how to relate to me. So my family was constantly looking for things to do with me, like, and especially things to do that other little boys did. So we tried the Boy Scouts. That was a no-go. I will tell you why it was a no-go because I wanted specifically to do the soapbox derby racing, which was on the flyer. We never did it. I was part of that shit for 18 <laughs> months. We never did it once. I was furious. They suck you in with the fun and don't. don't I know. I like nothing like that. Um, you know, I we tried baseball, terrible. I we did karate. I did well at karate, but I just wasn't interested. You know, so finally, about eight years old we roll around and my grandfather in a last ditch effort turned on channel 55 broadcasting out of Fort Wayne, Indiana on our grainy old television. And there was Austin Idol and Jerry Lawler wrestling for the WWA, which is the world wrestling Alliance. It was uh, Dick, the bruiser produced out of Detroit. And we lived in Northern Ohio at the time. So, and I was instantly captivated, you know, and, I was captivated by the drama, the flair, the show, the showmanship, um, all of those things about pro wrestling. And I, I talked uh, seconds ago about, you know, this troubled relationship I had with my dad, a strain, very strained. And I don't think that's unusual whatsoever for other people in the queer community, especially young gay boys, um, to have that kind of inability to connect with their father the way that they see other people connecting with their dads, right? And my relationship with him was everything you'd probably imagine. And with that said, now as an adult, I look back and I'm so grateful for him because the one thing that he did, because it was the only place I think that he and I connected was he took me to every wrestling show, every wrestling show anything we could find because he knew I loved it. And because that was a space where it seemed that we could connect on some kind of a level. So I'm really grateful for that. And then, you know, 
um, you fast forward and with that basis of love, my, my family constantly fed that. And I, I'm again, very grateful. And, you know, I remember my mom, I told my mom I wanted to be a journalist when I grew up and I was, uh, I think it was like about the next, the same year that I fell in love with wrestling. I told her that. And they bought me a, this giant typewriter. Like my mom bought it from an office sale or something like that. And, and then a word processor, God, I'm dating myself, but you know, I would sit around and I would just write pro wrestling, like very kayfabe pro wrestling interviews, or I, I would start to go to shows and interview the wrestlers. You know, I was Dustin Rhodes, very first ever interview. Wow. Like he, he was 19 and I was in high school. God, I'm dating myself. Um, and you know, he was in high school or I was just, he was just out of high school. I was still in high school and I was his very first wrestling interview. And I, I just will never forget like how bad I was at it. The, those, because I said, tell me what the highlight of your wrestling career is so far. And he was like, he literally said to me, Brian, well, I've wrestled two matches. So, you know, <laughs> yo, highlights are relative, but that's a highlight at that point. But I, yeah, I don't know what 19-year-old Dustin Rhodes is going to say to that. <laughs> right, like, what do, you, what do you, what does any person say to that? Like, tell me about the highlight of your wrestling career, and you're like, uh, well, you know, like, I literally barely wrestled, dumbass. <laughs> but, you know, th that was, my love for wrestling goes back a long way, and it's just a dream come true to have gotten to live so much of it this past year. No, I mean, it, it's amazing like to, to see that it has happened for, for you in this way and to see how deep those roots really go. Because like, you know, I think a lot of people that get into this line of work obviously have a passion for it. You know, a lot of them from a very young age. But to see it start manifesting in a way where you're, like, you're going out and like, like jumping onto the hustle already in high school and wanting to get out there and, and make that dream work for yourself. Um, that, I mean, that's really kind of the spirit of, of pro wrestling in a lot of ways is like getting on your own spotlight and just trying to like shine it as much as you can to whoever will, will bask in it. You have no idea. And that, that article I wrote for Huffington Post, that was like six, seven years ago, something like that. Yeah. And, um, maybe not quite, maybe five years. So right from now and one of the things it mentioned in there was how as a kid I would write, do those interviews and I would send them in the mail as submissions to every pro wrestling magazine that I could think of. And now we live in a world where pro wrestling magazines, print magazines, or unfortunately print anything is almost obsolete. But back then we did not have the internet. So I would be sending it off to all of the various different magazines some of them will be so filled with typos that even as a child I was like they need me here they need me I spell right you know um but I would send them off especially to all of the Bill Apner magazines those were and there was a plethora of them as well a slew of them if you shall and I would send them off and I remember Bill and Stu Sachs variously, they could probably tell, obviously, that I, you know, maybe I even said to them in my cover letter, I'm 14, I'm 13. And they would send me these rejection letters, very nicely worded, like, thank you so much. And man, just hearing back from them to get rejection letters was to me like getting 
a letter from your hero because they really were, they were my heroes. Wrestling journalists were my heroes as much as the wrestling stars. And in a very unique way, expressing that, putting that out into the world in a way that could have been embarrassing, I suppose, in that article for HuffPost, that's what ca- caught Kevin McElvaney's eye. He read that article hmm. and said, sent me a direct message and said, hey, how about we make your dreams come true this year? Like, if you're, is that still a dream of yours? And I said, oh my God, absolutely, it's still a dream of mine. To be published in Pro Wrestling Illustrated, a dream. And so to go from doing a handful of shows here and there in Northern California over the course of a few years to Effie's Big Gay Brunch to about a month later, Kevin approached me about that opportunity to having my first article published in Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Uh, I think I submitted that in August. So all of that happened in like four months time. And it's mind blowing, mind numbing to think that so quickly things went from dream to reality. You know, it's, I got real emotional the last time I was on this podcast with you when we were doing the QWI awards and the QWI 200. And it's very easy for me to go to that place of emotion because I firmly believe that this, this world was not meant for me. I I think that this world was not meant for many of us. There, there was a time and a place and a mindset in the world of professional wrestling that actively excluded us, specifically those of us who were strong enough to be very upfront about who we are. And that's what leads me to the idea that when you become comfortable and authentic in who you are, and you still hold on to dreams, eventually the world will catch up to you. You're ahead of the curve when you do that. For If you're out there listening and you're being true to yourself, and you're still pushing forward for your dreams, you are ahead of the curve. And sometimes what that means is the world needs time to catch up with you. And the world has finally, that, you know, we're no longer on that like access road to get on the highway. The road has merged and I'm on that highway right now. And it's why this, that's why I was late for this interview, right? (laughs) Because like so much crap is happening that is so amazing. I just can almost not keep up. I mean, honestly, it's the best problem to have, right? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God, yes. I'm, I'm curious to ask you kind of a, a little bit more about that, that time period where between, like, high school and college and, like, the, the early years of you kind of trying to get into the, the pro wrestling world because, like, like you said, during, like, er, all pretty much every era before, like, where we're at right now, LGBTQ identities were treated completely differently in pro wrestling there, they had a stigma to them, and you, as a young gay man trying to enter that world, like a young that- gay man, I'm going to put an asterisk. Yes. A young gay man who cannot hide who I am. Yes, you know what I mean. That's the thing. Like there are tons of people who could hide who they are, mm-hmm. and they can hide in plain sight. But I'm not that person, and most of us are not that that person. Like most of us can't quote. I'm using air quotes, listeners. Most of us cannot quote pass. Like I don't, I don't fly under the radar. You'd have to really 
I mean, you'd have to have a blind eye with a cataract on it and a deaf ear. So, you you know, like, it's not going to happen for me. So go on. Oh, no, you're fine. But yeah, with, with that caveat as well, like, what was it? Did you did that impact your confidence in terms of like how far you thought you could go or your ability to enter this world? Like knowing like how the pro wrestling world viewed you know you and the community um, as a whole during that time. Yeah, absolutely, it did. It what it did for me is refocus my energy and attention. I thought that this was literally quite literally something that was not, as I said, a world for me. It was a world that was uh, not for my type. People like me can't do this. That's what I believed. And I think for a long time, that was true. In terms of my participation in wrestling, you know, I shelved that for a long time. And I'm very fortunate that I am a complex and multi-talented individual <laughs> with many different interests. And, you know, my love for journalism was something separate and there was a world for that. So I pursued that and I wrote for places like The Advocate and I wrote for HuffPost Queer Voices and was one of the official queer voices of HuffPost for a number of years. And what um, ended up happening is I redirected myself into much more into that world and I became a celebrity journalist. That's what, I, that's what I focused on. I would interview celebrities like Katy Perry and Lady Gaga and you name them, I interviewed them for the most part. And the turning point came when I sat down for some reason, I don't even know how I got the interview or what it was about at this point, but I interviewed Steve Austin and, you know, I was sitting in a hotel room with Stone Cold Steve Austin, his hotel room. We were sitting there and we started off this interview about, I think it was a film project that he was affiliated with or something. And then, of course, after the film project had been discussed, we started talking about wrestling. And then I just threw out there, I said, you know, I've been a fan of yours for a long time. And he said, oh, you know, he thought I meant by a long time, you know, WWE. EWWF. Yeah. And I said, Oh no, 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 no. I like, I, I appreciated you and I enjoyed you when you were really young and being managed by lady blossom and this and that. And, and then he's like, what? And, <laughs> and so, and then I started, we started talking about pro wrestling and I grew up watching Texas wrestling. I grew up watching Southern wrestling as he did. And we started talking about really kind of like minutiae of that, you know, like things that the average person would not know. And at one point he said, by God, you really are a wrestling fan. And that was a turning point for me. That was a, I was like, Stone Cold Steve Austin is one of the, is quite arguably the biggest badass in wrestling history. If you want to look at characters that are presented as like that ass kicking badass. And if he's okay with me, and if he acknowledges my love, passion for, and knowledge about pro wrestling, who in the hell is anybody else to tell me I don't belong here? And so I just went headlong that way. All I needed was that, I don't even know that it was a green light. It might've been a yield sign. I'm not even sure. All I needed was somebody to say like, yeah, this is, I see you. That's what they needed to say. I see you. Mm -hmm. 
And within a very short order, I became the only person covering pro wrestling on the Huff Post. And I was getting interviews with lots of big names. And then it just became a domino effect. All right, Jens. Thank you so much for tuning into LGBT in the Ring. Uh, we'll get right back into the thick of things, but I do want to take a pause real quick and say thank you to some amazing people that make this show as rad as it is. Starting off with Daniel Quasar, the Progress Pride Black design by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at Quasar.digital. A big thank you to Sarah in the Safe Word for the show's theme song, Formula 666, off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSW Band, and you can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Um, check out independentwrestling.tv for the best in current and classic independent pro wrestling, including live events from top independent promotions worldwide. Uh, you can use our promo code LGBTRingPod or visit tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and peruse their entire library uh, over there at independentwrestling.tv. Once again, promo code LGBTRingPod or go to tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT check out that service uh, you can follow the show on twitter at lgbt ring pod you can follow me on twitter at wonderboyotm and if you're into video games definitely check out my video game news show the mr video game super show i co-host that with uh, twitch streamers slacker kite and lady Merwin every monday at 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific over on twitch.tv slash dead sun entertainment uh, it's your weekly roundup of gaming news, uh, and it's always a blast. So once again, check that out every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, over at twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment, sun like the star. We'll be right back with more LGBT in the ring. No, I mean, it's it's interesting, because like, obviously, like going back into, into the backlog of, of a lot of your work, like there is a, a lot of pro wrestling stuff. I didn't realize that Steve Austin was the tipping point though, because um, that, I don't know, that, that story is so interesting to me because like, it's almost like, obviously with a, a celebrity who has been in, who's in wrestling, a wrestler who has turned to that celebrity lifestyle, wrestling always comes up in these kind of interviews for, mm-hmm. you know, but like, and like you said, there's always the expectation like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll talk about attitude era, blah, 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 this sort of stuff. But it seemed like the, the surprise that you gave him from actually having this extensive knowledge of it kind of put forth this ultimate validation in your mind that led you back to pro wrestling, not just in terms of covering it, but also your actual participation. The participation at that point was still way out of, my focus it was way out of reach still in my opinion at that time my self-perception but what i think that that conversation had was for him you know we talk about there's a lot of talk these days about the casual viewer having left the world of professional wrestling well the attitude era epitomized casual viewership and what for austin i think it was is I'm a real wrestling fan, you know, like I'm a real wrestling fan. I'm not a fan of a company. I'm not a fan of an, a specific era. I'm not a fan wholeheartedly of an individual. I love wrestling. That's why it does frustrate me when I, 
excuse me, uh, I'm part of this LGBTQ plus pro wrestling group on Facebook. And there's like thousands of people in there. And Marco Mayor, uh, who you know, one half of my tag team, Money, Power, Respect, he and I were are both in there. And we were talking about this recently. These are quote unquote wrestling fans. But if you're not WWE or maybe at best AEW, they don't care. So they're not really, in my eyes, wrestling fans. They're fans of WWE and AEW. You're not going to find them at an East Bay Pro Wrestling show or an Underground Wrestling Alliance show or even West Coast Pro here in in San Francisco Bay Area. You you won't catch them at NWA. You're not going to catch them at any of these places. GCW would probably make them have a meltdown. You know, it's because they're fans of a very specific thing. And it's not that way for me. I love pro wrestling. I love talking about it. I love finding new facets of it. I love to this day, randomly diving into YouTube and finding promotions I've never heard of with people that will likely never be on a television set and just immersing myself in it because I love pro wrestling. I think that that's very evident from, from what you do on your Twitch channel as well. Um, Absolutely. I would and, hope so. Yes. Very like diving back into all different eras uh, of pro wrestling and all these different things that honestly, some stuff that I haven't even seen. And, you know, I like to like view myself as a, as a very like quote unquote, well-read wrestling fan, but like there's, that's a, that's a beautiful thing about pro wrestling is like, there's always something new to discover. There's always somebody new there's always some new story or some new character or some new move. You know, there's, there's always something mm-hmm. new out there to, to, to digest and, and to add to your, your dictionary, so to speak. I think that one of the biggest disservices that we have um, in the wrestling world today, and maybe I'm a part of this because I am a wrestling journalist, but, you know, like legit, while I was coming here to do this interview with you, I'm working on an interview that I have to write for another publication. So, but one of the biggest disservices I think is that, you know, our wrestling sites only really, they're concerned about clicks. So if you're not somebody who's going to bring them traffic, they're probably not going to talk about you very much on the wrestling websites. Well, I grew up reading Pro Wrestling Illustrated, reading all the sister publications, reading these like shit stained magazines that were misspelled with, you know, people's names misspelled on the cover. Right. So I read them, and I mean voraciously, cover to cover, over and over, memorization of stuff. And one of the things that those magazines did that I loved so much is they would cover small regional territories, places that I could not get to. I would read what was going on in the Pacific Northwest, despite the fact that I was living in Houston at the time. I would read what was going on in Florida. I would read what was happening in Georgia and you know, all these places. And as a result, I had such intense curiosity, maybe unnatural curiosity about these professional wrestlers whose names would pop up periodically in these magazines and that I would never likely ever get to see. And I'm really glad now because as a result of YouTube and like sometimes random videos that fans have taken or whatever, I get to actually see some of these people. and. I think that people now, the best they're going to get is if they are on a place like Twitter where they might get random wrestlers commenting or whatever coming through their newsfeed. And thank God for that, because that's why my Twitter following is growing very steadily, because I think people are constantly discovering me. But 
I, I do wish that we had more of those smaller names. Like I said, the names that are probably never going to end up on a TV set in a WWE or AEW coming into our lives. So we could just, just appreciate people's love for and work that they put into pro wrestling. You're not wrong. I think a lot of the, the larger outlets for sure, it, it, obviously with the, the whole business model based on like engagement and, and clicks, like you said, it's, it's it behooves them to cover WWE, AEW, Impact, you know these the larger companies for sure. But like that's one of the things I've really enjoyed about working at Outsports is that like because I'm not beholden to like you know covering the results of Monday Night Raw every week, I I, I can put that spotlight on some of the smaller names that are growing or like somebody who's been around for a while and is just starting to get a, a higher profile or you know just highlight somebody that I really enjoy too like i'm not above that i'm not above finding somebody that i really like watching in the ring and just been like i want to interview that person and give them absolutely back you know so like that i've really enjoyed that freedom but it's it it speaks to the the wider issue with like online media and the press media in general now in terms of like you know mm-hmm. what we see with like wages business models employment practices like there's so many different uh, different aspects of that that we could get into right now um, but I and I we don't need to go on that tangent. Exactly. But I do think that this is a great time for me to just to say thank you to people like you and Righteous Reg who have done the the black um, the you know the Black Wrestler 500, the QWI, focusing on minority groups, underrepresented groups, and just showing like the depth of that talent. Because I'll tell you, even with the QWI, I went through that list and we heard it time and time again with people who were on that panel. We went through that list and there were names. I was like, I need to find out who the hell this is. I want to see, oh, I like this person's picture. I'm going to find out who that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's very important. Moving no, it, I'll, I'll definitely, th- and I'll throw Kristen Ashley in there too. You know, she just finished up. The, I, so the I'm sorry, I should have mentioned Kristen oh, Ashley no. with the women's. I guess she's working on a 500 now. Yeah, I think she just completed it. I think it just it just finished. Congratulations, up Kristen Ashley. Thank you, PWI. Thank you for that. Yeah, and and I and that kind of leads to another point I wanted to bring up with PWI now is that like we've seen obviously like PWI back then it was covering like whenever it was more territorial it was covering the various territories. Then as you you see the territories go away, you see it become like about you know WCW and WWE going up against one another, then and WWE kind of becoming the the monopolistic company that it is now or, or that it was until AEW kind of came on the scene really um you saw pwi's coverage kind of shift that way but now that we've seen this kind of like rebirth of the independence over the past like decade or so like pwi is starting to kind of get back to a bit of that and it's awesome to see that you're now like in in your own way being a part of that too you know um well you know out whether you're going to have another piece in the PWI at some point, I'm sure that that, that is probably going to happen somewhere down the line. Just I have confidence in that happening, but it, it kind of speaks to the same thing that you're talking about where you have the chance now, if, if you do continue working with, with PWI to kind of provide that sort of insight for new readers to, to focus on, on these people. I think that, I hold PWI a little more accountable for that shift in focus because the fact of the matter is, yes, WCW and WWE took over almost everything, 
but there were still territories. There oh, are yeah. still promotions out there. There are still small places that if they wanted to, they could have shined a more heavy, uh, a heavier and brighter spotlight on those places. But I think that just like with the clickbait element of modern society, back then they definitely want to put names out there that are going to attract people. But I, I can promise you that um, if you, you know, put smaller names in the, the publication, they're going to be pushing the hell out of that. And their personal friends are going to be buying that publication, even if they would never have bought it before. So, but um, I'm going to give you a little scoop here. Uh, last week, um, I had a call from PWI mm -hmm. and it was not about me writing for them. It was about the fact that the manager of champions, Poyet Almar, is a mover and a shaker. And I think they're going to be shining a spotlight on that stunningly beautiful woman very soon. That is so awesome to hear. I think that obviously you had the moment with Kevin on our show back in December. Oh, yes, I did. And, <laughs> and honestly, I don't think Kevin could have wiggled out of it at that point. And I don't, and obviously, like he, he agreed to do it on the show. So I'm glad to hear that it, that it is happening and that, and that you're going to get the same treatment that so many of the people that you grew up reading about and, and kind of and, and being a fan of are you're now going to be in PWI as like an interview subject. Uh, and that is something that I still can't fathom. Um, I have conversations with my mom, you know, my, I've tortured my mom for my entire lifetime in regards to my love for professional wrestling. I always jokingly say that if I had like a nickel for every time she walked into a living room and like, oh my God, is this still on? Or, oh my God, how much of this shit is on TV? Like if I had a nickel for every time, I would um, be about as set as Tony Khan, but it wouldn't be my dad's money. So, you know, the, she said, the poor thing, she did that for a lifetime. And, you know, to be part of that history even for one article or, you know, one issue or whatever it is, it is beyond any words that I can express, you know, like it's, it's legitimately, it will be framed. It will be in my home, like this little spot right here, probably taken with that. Uh, and it's, it's unbelievable, but at the same time, I think that if they are returning to that vein of covering what is really kind of buzzing or bubbling under in the world of professional wrestling, I refuse to sell myself short at this point in time. I'm creating a buzz. I'm working my ass off to do it. It's not happening specifically organically. It's happening fairly organically. But when you see something happening organically, you have to like fan the flames, right? Because it may be a crackling little, uh, you know, smoldering thing right now, but I want it to be a bonfire. And that's why I sent you right before this interview, I sent you those copies of my pro wrestling resume. Yes. I, I sat down on my quote vacation last week and emailed those to 50 promotions and key people in the world of professional wrestling, 50 promotions of all sizes across the country, because 
the manager of champions Poyet Omar is my my contribution to the world of professional wrestling. Money, power, respect, the team I manage, the agenda, the, the group I manage. I want us to have opportunities. And I don't fall into the category of individuals who think those category, those uh, opportunities are come knocking at my door. I have to go knock, yeah. you know, at the risk of being highly offensive. I would like to be the Jehovah witness of professional wrestling. I'm going door to door until somebody lets me in to talk. <laughs> Honestly, like it, that's, that's what you need though. Like that's the, that's the attitude that you have to have because no one's, you know, it, it's cliche at this point, but like no one is going to give you the opportunity unless you like put your own voice out there, you know, like, especially when it comes to like the members of the, of the, the LGBTQ community, like you, that's double, double the effect that you have to like beat down those doors and like prove to yours, prove to others that you can cover this stuff and that you can, and that, you know, you have this knowledge and that you have this ability. So I don't fault you at all for doing that because I've been there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, and it's, there's this, there's a fine line that I walk a lot. You know, I'll be, I'm going to be like, like, I don't know. I think that this is like, uh, I don't know if it makes me feel vulnerable or just very human. And I have this conversation most often with my mom, but there's a fine line I walk between being a fairly humble person who plays a very arrogant, very pompous person. Um, so there's a fine line I walk between who I really am in terms of like wanting to naturally downplay things and the person that you have to be to get ahead in the world, which is like to self-promote, to self-aggrandize, to do whatever it is that you need to do. and the like the humble person at the core as being as humble as I know how to be without just saying you're humble, which obviously makes you not humble. The humility in this situation is that I'm just a drop in the bucket, right? Like I'm a, a you know, a splash of color on the bigger picture. But what I can say is there has never been somebody else doing what I do. And that's a, that's a real statement. Like nobody else today, at least is doing what I do. And I want to do more of it because I think that just maybe had there been somebody that I could relate to in the way that there possibly is a fan out there relating to what I'm doing, I would have not spent all those years thinking that this was not a world for me. No, I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, it's, I think that's one thing that I've seen kind of very prevalent about a lot of people that I've spoken to on this show is that like a lot of the motivation is to be the person they didn't have, you know? And, and I definitely see a lot of that in what you're doing with Pollo. And, and also like that, that kind of divergence between um, the humility and the, the need to kind of feed the ego, at least in the public air, like sphere, of things it kind of brings you back to something that you know in our previous conversation that we had that you brought up that was very intriguing to me and i feel bad that i said hold it and, and don't talk about it until january so we can talk about it on the show because like that seems like a very weird thing for a friend to say to another friend but um 
you talked about how wrestling has given you this like distinct line between your between the drag persona Poyol Del Mar and Paul. Um, what do you think? Like, how does that how is that different compared to like you know being in the drag world for so long? Like, what about wrestling has given you that? Not not to say it's like a schism, but that that division line that that division between the personalities. Yeah. So what I meant by that, Brian, is that if you take Poyot Omar as a drag performer and Paul E. Pratt, the the human who plays that character, in the general drag world, there's a lot of you know I just that's just me under there, you know, like that's just me under the makeup. And and what it does is turn the volume up on my personality, certainly make me larger than life. I'm already a colorful person, as you can tell if you're listening to this. I'm colorful even if I'm not wearing a pair of lashes or a wig, but when I became a character in the world of professional wrestling, specifically the manager of champions, Poil Omar, the manager of champions, Poil Omar is a heel persona. That is a, a persona that leans heavily into that. We'll say, I don't, I don't, I don't have to be a heel because I love to, uh, I think that people who follow my social media or join me on Twitch or wherever recognize that I'm a, pretty approachable, pretty down to earth, nice person. Like I think that, but that character blurs a lot of that. And so that character is pretty well crafted in my mind, at least. And she is very different than me. You know, she is, um, she draws on a lot of fun archetypes, a lot of fun characters both in and out of the world of professional wrestling and she's quite different than i am you know she has a different set of um she has a different list of motivations than i have i mean some of them are the same like i want recognized like i'm the best like show you know like i i do believe some of that like i'm i'm really good at what i do but i would never go about getting the attention the way that she would, you know? Yeah. So that is a very distinct line that's been drawn. And it's very interesting to be able to switch in and out of that versus before where I just felt like a, tr a, a flip, a switch would flip. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, here we go. Like, you know, personality on 12 versus my normal seven. Yeah. Has it been has it been good for you to kind of have that separation between the personas or between the, the two sides of you in that way? I love it. Like I love having the opportunity because the first several years of my uh, career as Poirot Omar, the wrestling personality, I was a baby face. You know, <laughs> I, I was like the constant heroine in distress. And that was a really hard character for me to play for multiple reasons. Number one, I'm not a, I'm in distress type of person to begin with. I'm a, I take command type of person and that's in and out of drag. I'm also, you know, it's hard to play like, oh, I'm so afraid for you. I'm literally taller than 90% of the wrestlers that I'm, you know, opposed <laughs> yeah. by. So, you know, it's not like I'm a shrinking violet over in the corner. So that, that character was a lot more challenging because it felt a lot more unrealistic, you know, than, than the idea of the Pollo Del Mar that I 
as I see the manager of champions. And I keep throwing that out there because that is the character, the manager of champions, yes. you know, the manager of champions is that's the character point Omar is across the board, but that's the gimmick. And for me, what that means is how far is she going to go to manage champions? What will she do to make sure that's possible? And I haven't even scratched the surface of some of the shenanigans that I want to eventually unroll and showcase for the world of what it is and the lengths to which the manager of champions, Poyo Delmar, will go to see her clients succeed. Well, whatever. Will Poyo Delmar succeed to make sure her <laughs> clients succeed? <laughs> what am I asking? Yo, you never know. You never know what the future holds. You never do know what the future holds. <laughs> oh, whatever links you do go or Pollo goes, manager of champions <laughs> goes, like I'm sure myself and so many other people who have become so ingratiated with you over the past year will be along for the ride as well. Um, Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and chat. And I'll throw out one more superlative because I forgot to highlight this at the top of the show. Of course, you are the winner of our first ever QWI Personality of the Year Award, too, right across the banner of that resume, which I, I'm very proud to see right there. I, I sent you the resume specifically to see that. Yes, on my wrestling resume, right underneath the manager of champions, Poet Omar, it says, voted out sports QWI Pro Wrestling Personality of the Year. And I thought back to righteous reg during that podcast saying i think the you know the black wrestler 500 got some people signed yeah well i'm certainly not going to hide the fact that the fans of the lgbtq plus pro wrestling community voted me the personality of the year and i'm it's not lost on me what an honor and distinction that is not only to to be the winner of the first award that you all put out there, but the humbling reality of what it means to have people in the space of pro wrestling who love and appreciate what I do. Oh, I, we, it's, it's, I'm very humbled by it. We surely do love and appreciate what you do. And, and I'm so happy that we had the chance to sit down and talk. There's so much more about what you've done that I, we, we have to have you back on again. Well, have me, I'm back. Uh, you know, you know how it turns out. We can schedule an interview at any point and I'll be sure to miss it. But <laughs> we can reschedule. Exactly. <laughs> Flexibility. That's all that matters. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Poyo. Let everybody know where they can find you online and where they can uh, check out all of the projects you have going on. Absolutely. Uh, the easiest way to follow me really is on Twitter because that's where I do most of my wrestling chatter. That is twitter.com slash at the Glamazon PDM. I was a Glamazon before Beth. I swear to God, I have the proof. The receipts, Diane, show me the receipts. Um, or you can join me for lots of interesting, fun pro wrestling broadcasts on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Poyo Delmar. Awesome. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you. My thanks once again to Paul for taking the time out of his very 
very busy day and and chatting with me about just a little bit about his journey in pro wrestling. You know, I thoroughly enjoy seeing him continue to grow his presence in not just in the ring but as well as in the the journalism world and uh, it's always a treat anytime we get to have him on the show you know whether it's paul or polio showing up like there is a separation there obviously like like he discussed but at the same time a little bit of polio always comes out right <laughs> nah, love paul um yeah, that's going to do it for us this week. But uh, next week, you got two more episodes coming out um, on Thursday and Friday. Uh, and I'm super stoked um, to continue with this uh, beefy January that we have here. Um, of course, this weekend, if you're, you got Terminus coming up in Atlanta, that's going to be an awesome show there. Um, and I'll give a shout out to. Action and TWE and Southern Honor and all the companies in the Atlanta area coming together for Southeast Pro next Friday, the 21st. That's going to be a hell of an awesome show airing live on IWTV. Um, AC Mack challenging Alex Shelley for the IWTV Independent Wrestling World Championship. It's a big deal, y'all. I am, you know, I am excited. The, the Georgia in me is just giddy and bubbling over with joy that this show is happening. It's going to be dope. Um, but I think I've plugged all the wrestling things that I enjoy and love and that, that are coming up right now. Uh, there will be more next week, I'm sure, because there's always more wrestling. There's always more. Like there's like we talked about in the show, there's always something new. There's always something more to, to take in and enjoy and fall in love with. And show all your friends. Um, show all your friends. <laughs> but until then, y'all stay messy. Wash your hands. Wear your mask. Get vaccinated and boosted if at all possible. And yes, I did get the official engagement ring like literally just after speaking with Poyo. So I guess the manager of champions doesn't miss. Bye. Everybody's ready to die. They didn't see it coming from the top of the bridge. She made a deal with the